From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. A playoff podcast, you could could say at this point. I'm Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. And with me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Woo! Welcome back. How are you? Uh, how are you doing on this very humid and disgusting fall afternoon? <laughs> uh, as of yet, I Doesn't have it not just opened feel the door like playoff today. baseball. <laughs> it does. I have not opened the door today, and so I can't uh, attest to how humid it is. But uh, my guess is, I mean, it looks all gray and gross. So I'm gonna imagine that's how it feels. <laughs> Seasonally, it may not feel like October, but with the way the Phillies have been playing and the games they have been playing in, it certainly has October vibes as the Phillies took care of business against the Miami Marlins this week in the wild card series in order to advance to a date with the Braves in the NLDS. And they played two, two of their best games. It feels like we've seen them play in a long time. Uh, so that was, that was really thrilling. That was great to see. We'll get into some of the individual performances and moments from that in just a second. Uh, but before we talk about the present, there is one little thing I wanted to talk about, uh, a little bit of history. And that is that today is the anniversary, the 13th anniversary, of Roy Halladay's no-hitter in the National League Division Series against the Cincinnati Reds. And that just feels like a staggering amount of time to have passed since that historic Phillies moment. It does. Well, and weirdly, I'm like, wow, it was... It, when you said 13 years ago, I'm like, that's all it's been? I, I can't <laughs> tell if that's because the last few years have really been... have felt like every year has felt like a decade somehow in its own way. So I'm not really sure if, if that's accurate, but it really does feel... It feels like a long time ago. It does. Every... Every playoff win really feels like it, it comes down. It, you know, there's one moment that you, you seem to remember from every playoff win because everybody's watching and they're just they're games that live in your head a lot longer. But in the case of Halliday's no hitter, it's it's really sets itself apart because the whole game is that moment. You know, maybe not early on, especially the first time when we were just sitting there watching him. You know, dominate the Reds for a couple innings. You know, get three outs, get strikeouts, and you're like, yeah, you've seen Roy Halliday pitch before. It's awesome. This is what it looks like. And it's not until, you know, fourth, fifth inning, you start feeling like, hey, something's going on here. Uh, and then from that point forward, the intensity is just ratcheted all the way up. You're not even thinking about the like the winning of the game, which is like all you were worried about coming in. Now it's like, well, we have to win. And also it has to be this special kind of win uh, because yes. Roy Halladay's just pitching that well. And he was. He just absolutely dominated the Reds. And I mean, I don't have to tell anybody listening, but the, the way it was capped off with an incredible play by Carlos Ruiz in front of home plate with the bat flying everywhere and being able to nail the runner at first, despite all the distractions in that moment and seal the second no hit game in MLB playoff history. Uh, I mean, that was just huge. It was, it was one of those moments that you still, as a Phillies fan, even in 2010, when we were pretty used to seeing them go to the postseason, and it was that same core of guys we've been watching for years and loved in, in Philadelphia. Uh, but it was still the kind of thing that you watched and you were like, I can't believe this is happening to us. I can't believe yeah. we get to enjoy this more than anyone. I, I feel like that's still our reaction 
and a lot to to a lot of things. You know, it's like, how are we? Is this is us, right? We're supposed to be here. This is not. We're not in a movie. This isn't for Ted. And I, I that's yeah, it still like- it feels very sweet in a way. You know, I feel like we don't. I don't feel like this is a fan base that's ever going to take it for granted ever again. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're seeing a lot of that this year. Uh, I was I was going to get into this, and in, is as far as like the games themselves, and we can just jump into it now. But like, I don't I don't know if it's my upbringing or what, but all this reaction to the atmosphere and the fans at Citizens Bank Park uh, over the even just these two wild card games this year, it's like the national audience forgot who we were. Like, I mean, we yep. we haven't changed. You know, yeah, it oh. was a pretty lame decade of Phillies baseball there for a while like until last year it had just been a long time since we got excited about the baseball team in Philadelphia so I guess in in that 11 year gap people just decided Phillies fans weren't Philly sports fans and didn't have that same mentality and and uh, energy and I don't get that assumption at all and then to, to compare and contrast the audience with say you know, the fan club that came out for the Rays fail horn of a playoff series in Tampa <laughs> or even in Baltimore where I, I've <laughs> I've, I've uh, got to say, I've seen a lot of Orioles fans on and offline talking about the energy at Citizens Bank Park and being like, we can match this or like, this is how we have to be like using it as an example to emulate. I mean, it, it, it's wild. We set I just the didn't standard. Think... That's incredible. We, we really did. And it's, get, it's, it's getting talked about a lot in a very positive way. Every broadcast brings it up. Players get asked about it. Some of them just talk about it unprompted. I mean, it's it's really one of the main aspects of the of the of Phillies in the playoffs. Well, and they're comparing it to, like, an SEC atmosphere, like a college football, which is enormous. <laughs> like, that's it's a stadium. That, those are stadiums that hold almost twice the capacity of Citizens Bank Park. And yet like we're able to have that type of impact like it's it's kind of cool because it used to be like they call it you know four and a half hours in hell but it's you know it's not thought of as a negative it's thought of as like a positive incredible thing that you know it should be measured against it's not like a hostile it's not thought of as like an actively hostile atmosphere i don't think it's thought of as very supportive it seems and that is like a marked that's a marked difference from how it used to be talked about. Yeah, like, Phyllis I, I, fans I think aren't the only ones like important... have changed. The, the media that's has an... changed a little bit in how they're talking about us. That's an important differentiation, I think, certainly. But I, I don't think you can lose that hostility entirely uh, oh, true. and still call it a Philadelphia sporting event. And I don't think we, we have either. That's fair. Um, having been at both of these games, you definitely definitely got some of that uh which was great it was never like too over the top which you know it, it can be sometimes and and even those mm-hmm. moments can kind of be funny sometimes too but at the same time yeah you just had a lot of like more individual heckling of various marlins players but also at the same time this wasn't a playoff series where the phillies were in a whole lot of peril at any given time there were some moments where you thought mm, but they would get out of trouble and ultimately win the game and you know, you, you weren't super worried about it, so people weren't feeling as hostile towards mm-hmm. the Marlins, just kind of, like, annoyed that they were in the way for the Phillies Yes. Winning. That's that's exactly the tone I think I was talking about for the series and how people were talking about it. Like, it, it, you're absolutely right that it wasn't too over the top. Like, it, it was... They, they weren't... They, 
the Phillies fans could have heckled them within an inch of their life. They really could have. The The fans have that power. It, it was nice to see that they weren't, like, murdering them. <laughs> I mean, it, it would have been I mean, how, do you think it was worse that, like, a guy like Jazz Chisholm or Josh Bell, who's a, who is a Philly killer and really one of the only successful Marlins hitters from these two games, but uh, that those guys come jogging out during player intros and they get lustily booed, but then you have guys like Jacob Stallings or John Birdie come jogging out and everyone's just like, boo, boo. Who? But like, I don't really, I'm not familiar with you. <laughs> like, who do you think that hurts worse <laughs> well, for? Mean, the guy that gets booed or the guy who's like, we're like, we don't know him. That's a really good question. I don't know. I actually interviewed Josh Bell once. It's the only time I went to uh, the World Series, the World Series, the All-Star Game. It was in Cleveland in 2019. I think he was like a, he was an unexpected all-star. There weren't a ton of people talking to him. And I wish he was very thoughtful. I wish this was a, a question I had asked him at the time because it was sort of, it was the, the sort of photo negative of that because he was at the all-star game, but he wasn't like, like he wasn't, no one really knew who he was. He wasn't very talked about and he didn't get like the hugest cheer. He's not, you know, he didn't play for Cleveland. No one really knew. So I have to wonder do they appreciate being booed or is, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would think maybe they appreciate it a little bit more because Jazz, I mean, especially from Philadelphia fans, it means Chism. we do know who you are and we don't like you. <laughs> Chisholm seemed to, he, he claimed he was feeding off of it. He told Buster only before the game when he was being asked about getting booed and he was like, oh yeah, no cheers or booze. Like I feed off all of it and it's great. I don't think he had a hit in in these in this series by the way so you know oh. I, I wonder how how much a guy means that when he says oh yeah no it's great i mean i know there are some guys who would feed off of that absolutely but i don't think all the guys who say they do actually do i think some guys come out you know it's not a surprise that they're being booed even in philadelphia but yeah i i think that uh, i think it does eat away at guys more than more than some of them would admit uh and mm -hmm. you know as far as like atmosphere goes it's uh it's also just like perspective wise again i keep thinking when when they're talking about oh it's they create such an atmosphere here oh it's so loud here oh the decibel level just exploded and then they show people celebrating in other ballparks and you're just like what i don't know i'm not trying to be cute when i say this but like this just feels this feels normal to me i mean it's playoff baseball you don't really sit down you're up and down a lot at the very least it is loud you know a lot of the time there's certainly dead periods you know when the phillies don't knock in a couple of runners when, when, you know, somebody beefs a play, you know, yeah, it can get quiet in there. I mean, there was, there was a moment during, I think a Bryce Harper at bat, where it was the first time in I've ever been in that park where it felt like you could actually hear everything. Everybody just got silent for whatever reason in that moment, but it's always ready to explode. That's nuts. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> And that's the guy. The difference I, I wrote about in my recap on baseball perspectives is that when they say four hours in hell, hell isn't Philadelphia isn't hell. Like they're not saying that Philadelphia is this this hellish place, this awful place. It's saying that's the atmosphere that the that the fans in Philadelphia create for the other team, and that is a that is a huge strength, I would think. Like to yeah. to know that that energy is there as a player, and to know that it's behind you, that is that's especially in the playoffs. That's got to be a huge boost. It, it, I'm sure it is. And knowing that the fans in there are watching that knowing like getting quiet before, like a, during a Bryce Harper at bat, like that 
to me says for sure we're all just watching like it no one wants to say anything that's kind of cool like he's just a player that everyone is like shut up he's, he's doing something shut up <laughs> Well, he certainly did something in Game 1. He had something of a quiet series, but uh, just to dive into these games here. I mean, Game 1 uh, was the Zach Wheeler start, the kind of start you wanted to see from the mm. Phillies' ace. Yes. Every Phillies batter had a hit, except for Brandon Marsh, who entered the game as a pinch hitter. Uh, Josh Bell had three hits for the Marlins. The rest of the Marlins had four total. Zach Wheeler went six and two-thirds. He allowed five hits, an earned run, and eight strikeouts. Like I said, exactly what you want to see from your frontline starter. Uh, Luis Arise, a man who every time he gets an out is a gift, uh, hit that liner to left to open the game. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, like, yeah, okay, that's a base hit. You know, that's that's Luis Arise. Like, that's that's what he does. That's what you got to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. And then Christian Pache comes racing in, and it hangs up just long enough for him to catch it. And not only was there a feeling of relief palpable that just rippled through the stadium that was like, all right, we're not getting off on the wrong foot. It's not going to be a long first inning, you know, at least not yet. Uh, but the Marlins didn't even hit another ball into the outfield until the seventh inning. And honestly, I look back at that play, and that was – that was a really important play because Arise, that was a base hit. That was a ball that was like, could have been a base hit. Kyle Schwarber mm-hmm. is in left field. That might be a base hit. Um, I don't think, I don't think that's, yeah, I think Marsh probably still catches that, but that's not why Pache was in there. Um, but still, that he made that catch, that that resulted in an out and not, you know, extra bases the way it could have was huge. I, I really do. I st- like that that play got pretty quickly forgotten because it was the first at bat of the game and so many other things happened and there were so many other things to talk about. But right away, that set the tone that like, no, yeah, we're getting we're getting outs tonight. We we are you know, smothering threats and again, it just got you off on the right foot to start mm-hmm. things off. It felt it felt good knowing that there were guys there that that more often than not will not beef it. They won't beef the play that ha- that they have to make. You know, if there's a play that can be made, they they will actually do it. It's, you know, the ones that are a little iffier that you have to sometimes watch out for. But that's true of anyone. And you are always on, like, the the greater chance of having, like, Pache make make one of those catches than Kyle Schwarber. So it's good that, like, we there's, like, solid defense out there. That that's a feeling. That's a good feeling. Yeah, and we'll get into game two in a second, but Nola only had three strikeouts in his spectacular start. He was more than happy to rely on his defense, and they came through for him. So oh, that's yeah. a nice thing to be able to say for a team that, you know, going into last year, everyone was like, oh, the Phillies just gave up on defense, and they're just going to not have that this year. No one said uh, that this year, man. they're a team year, that no clearly one. has at least a – yeah, they at least have a passable defense, you could say. I mean, they are in the postseason. They clearly don't have – you know, zero defense, and they've really just outfitted themselves to be better at it with guys like Rojas out in the outfield, with Pache in the outfield, with Marsh in the outfield, uh, with even Turner, who who did have a little bit of a, a a hiccup on a play in this series, but still, and you know, we all know what kind of year he had until August, but still, he was he's been able to to really provide a lot of great defense at shortstop as well, even Alec Bohm. Has, has made uh, in this series, made some great stops, uh, didn't always result in an out, but it did result in, you know, a diving stop of a ball that could have gone to the corner or something like he, he people will ding him for his defense at times, but he's been making plays that you wouldn't have thought he was capable of, you know, even early in 2022, you wouldn't think, oh, this guy's going to get compared to Mike Schmidt at some point next year for a play he makes. I mean, that's, 
that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's fine. Like, he's not, there's nothing obviously bad about what he's doing. Like, that's, that's the thing. It's not below average. He's, I think he's average at where he is, and that's great. Because that's more than a lot of people expected from him. And, you know, we've seen him make some great plays and some great stops. Like, even just the stops are are a product of improved reflexes, you know, improved placement and timing. And so that's that's huge. That's huge progress. Like, he, like, I, I can't decide whether it's him or Stott that I'm more pleased about overall that over the season and especially how they've performed over the last two games. Like, they're, they're like legitimate players, and that's uh, more than I expected for both of them to be at this point. Like, I, I had a 50-50 chance on both of them, so. And you don't have to choose. You can, no. you can be happy with both and throw Marshall I'm in there. I'm so happy, happy with happy about both. all. <laughs> I am so happy with both. I was just thinking of, you know, the homegrown Phillies players and, like, in Bowman Stott have been together for a long time. And seeing the both sort of blossom this year and fill fill in holes in their game that had been there in the past is just so gratifying. And now they've like made incredibly positive contributions to this team. Like they're 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 guys that worked out. They're guys from the from the farm system that worked out. My God. I don't I don't know if that's legal, honestly. I don't I know either. Are gonna have I to... just, I just like, I thought about that during both games, and I just wanted to point it out. Like, that's something that we've all wished for forever: is successes, you know, from the farm system in the starting rotation, which we have, from the farm system, which I think we have. Uh, I mean, in the uh, in the bullpen, which I think we have, you know, and you know, defense and position players. Like, it's it's exactly what we hoped would happen. And it it's led to a great Phillies team. Like it's outstanding. I, I, I wish I, I could say that I totally believed that they would do this again this year. And I'm, I'm glad to see that I was wrong to doubt at all. Hey, you know, the playoffs, a lot can change fast, but right now this team's got an unbeatable energy, and I think a lot of people are worried about them. I think Braves fans are already coming up with reasons why <laughs> they didn't win the NLDS. I'm trying to go in with measured expectations, but uh, it's tough. It's tough, man. They are, the Phillies' energy right now is off the charts. I mean, they yeah. are, they have, they have. No matter what happens, they have the best vibes of any team in the postseason. I mean, this is this is a team. Watching them the past few days has just been like, this might be the first team that can't get rid of an impending free agent because the players are too good friends. I, I don't I don't know if they can get if they can actually let Reese Hoskins go nope. anywhere or Nola at this point, but Hoskins specifically because they all like each other too much. And I know how that sounds. It's like, that's so it sounds like naive or childish. And typically we're saying like, Oh, I just want all the players to be friends as a joke. But in this case, you're just watching them and you're watching this post game footage and you're watching him video call in. So he can take part in this, yes. in this celebration. And you're like, you ever been that guy who's has, has video called into a, a real, like an actual in-person celebration. <laughs> it's a tough role to play. Cause you're like, yes. yeah, this is like fun and funny. But after the first second, Everyone's like, okay, well, like we can't hear each other, and you're, you know, you're not really here, so blah blah blah. And you're like, ah ha ha, you got to have a lot of charisma to pull that off. And I think he pulled it off. So yes. th I think that the bonds this team, these players have with each other, is like the first time of like, boy, if they let this guy go, 
they're, they're just going to be they're going to be upset. Like this is going to be wrecking it something. It will be tough. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not like last year where they just sort of like automatically cut ties with like Zach Eflin and uh, Kyle Gibson and all those guys. Like they were gone. Yeah. And I was a little upset about. They weren't disliked, Eflin. but they 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 were able to yeah like as a business decision they let them go. But like they yeah you know, they would be like oh my buddy Eflin's gone blah blah blah. Segura obviously and Stott had a very uh, tight mm-hmm. relationship. So like that was sad. But at the same time, yeah, that's just this does feel like they've had a full other year together, and now they're even closer than they were before. Yep. yep. <laughs> It's like, it's like, this is, it's the last day of camp <laughs> where we're, at some point it's going to be the last day of camp and we don't know if everyone's going to come back next year. So it, it's difficult. I don't, I don't like thinking about it, but I do like, I do like where you're coming from with it because I think you're right. The relationships with these guys, they owe, they, I, not that they owe anyone anything, but they do owe Reese Hoskins another year. They owe him at least a one year deal to reestablish his value. And I think that's something that the Phillies should have no problem giving him. I, I don't know no, where they'll, they'll, not they'll even, figure something out. It's not even like there's a big obvious replacement for him out there. That's like, oh, but the big free agent we would be missing out on. That's really not the case uh, no. in Hoskins' case and in, in first base's case. I mean, maybe there's some complications as far as where do you put Bryce Harper moving forward, but we're not going to get into all this. Uh, it's more just like gawking at the sheer chemistry coming off yep. of this team and, and the intensity of it. I mean, I think they're friends beyond baseball at this point, based on what we've seen. I mean, we saw that great story from Alex Coffey about Nick Castellanos telling Weston Wilson to stay at his house. Yes! And then they drank two two bottles of wine. And he was <laughs> and Wilson's tattoos. like, I've been practicing doing tattoos. And he's like, great, let's do a tattoo. And you're like, yeah, that's not something people do because they're just on the same team. That's like, you know, not just like, oh, um, I'm going to borrow your bat today or something. It's like, no, that's something that, like, friends do, like buddies do. <laughs> Lifelong war buddies do. <laughs> I mean, I've done things, I've done things, not that level of stupid two bottles of wine deep, but I definitely have thought about it. I have. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I've done, I've, I've reached that level. That's absolutely, yeah. And that's what I mean. You know, that that gives you something. We're never going to be able to relate to what it's like to have the level of athletic skill a professional baseball player has or or just like the career and life and exposure and celebrity they have. But then you hear a story like that and you're like, see, now that I can relate to. And suddenly yeah. you feel a little more connected to the team. That's why stories yeah. like that are so great. Like the Schwarber story about going with Castellanos to that uh, psychedelic art installation. Like we've all done something for someone that we care about that we didn't necess- that we weren't necessarily into. And I really appreciated that story because I've been the person on both sides of that. And I just thought it was <laughs> so adorable, so relatable. Like those these types of stories are so cute there's a, a a gif or like a little video going around of like bryce harper and trey turner standing next to each other in uh with their hoodies up all pulled over their faces <laughs> sort of like my head a little bit like it was and they're just like bopping back and forth to a song like together in time and i'm just like my god <laughs> my god like what what is this 
Like this is this is all impeccable. Like there's Alec Bohm, like just always, always with his shirt off. We we talk about Nick Castellanos as the sluttiest member of this team. I don't think we talk enough about about Alec Bohm and how every single time there's an opportunity for him to take his shirt off, he is he's there. He is the first one. Oh yeah, out of his shirt. He's just like do it. Let's do I it. Think- the hair's flowing free. I don't think people – I mean, it became a pretty oft-cited quote uh, by the end of the season. Uh, but he was – Alec Bowman was very quietly, you know, the Phillies' best hitter with runners in scoring position this year. Mm-hmm. He's also very quietly their best hitter with nipples in scoring position this <laughs> yes. year. I mean, he's, he's constantly under the radar but always doing his always doing his thing. You know, you yes. got to give him props for that. <laughs> yes. Doesn't have to be flashy. He's just great. Like, his reaction – on bay on the bases when Bryson Stott hit the grand slam was classic. Mm-hmm. He was just like he watched he watched the ball come in and then just started jumping up and down. It was so awesome. <laughs> it was everyone. Yeah. It, was, it was so awesome. Oh. Well, they cut to shots of the guys on base in big homers like that. I feel like it's it's always either Bohm or Stott. A, they're always on base. And B, yes. they always have like a, a great reaction to a home run when they're on base. I mean, yeah, they're they're young, they're kids, they're having a they're having a good time. Exactly. And that's what was so funny about that shot of Harper and Turner with the hoods up because I immediately I saw that shot and immediately thought like, guys, hey, there's Marsh and Stott again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh nope nope, <laughs> that's that's it was two that, other it guys was, who are it was their two other guys who are best friends. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you can just draw a line. You can, like, put... It's like uh, uh, the, the cast of your favorite hangout comedy. You're just like, oh, yeah, that guy and that guy have, like, an episode, and that guy and that guy have, like, a thing, and that guy and that guy were featured. Like, their their relationship was featured in, in an episode. At uh, batting practice before the game... Before game one, uh, I was standing there uh, on the um, on the warning track uh, by the home... Uh, by the backstop, and the Phillies have a DJ going during, during batting practice, and I was standing there just watching... And there was a point where Pache and Edmundo Sosa weren't hitting. They were just standing on opposite sides of the of the cage when um, I think Weston Wilson was in there. Uh, he, by the way, I didn't get to use this in the story, but Wilson almost killed a guy in the <laughs> right field stands. Like, laced this laser out there and just cracked it off the seats. This guy was walking down the, the steps towards the edge of the wall. And, uh, like, just jumped as this, like, baseball just smashes right into him. And I think that's, like, a, you know, obviously, a, I think that's, like, a thing for the for the hitters. They, like, laugh. And they're, like, when they almost hit somebody, it's, like, ah, and this guy, like, freaked out and almost almost got absolutely brained by this baseball. And an usher came down and just, like, you know, high-fived him and they hugged him. Just, like, oh, hey, glad, glad we're alive after yes. that. Just a, but, uh, uh, what else back can to you do original, after that happened? <laughs> the original point was that Pache and Sosa were standing on opposite sides of the of the backstop um, while they were taking batting practice, and uh, there was a song on, and uh, I think it was Pache just started like doing a little dance in place to it, and then he looked across the way and seemed to think he locked eyes with Sosa, who looked back at him and then also started like dancing in place and doing this little like uh, hip shaking thrust move back and forth. And it was like, this is a completely unsaid and totally forgotten moment that no one will remember. But I was like, I, I got to tell somebody that I just witnessed that. It's that just, was, you know, just a lot of fun and very, fun. <laughs> very indicative of this team and its energy. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's fantastic to see. 
Everyone's uh, so having to get... a good time. I like they're they're all so loose. They're so loose. Like wow. Speaking of loose, uh, I didn't want to move on from game one without at least just talking about Zach Wheeler. Uh, I believe it's Matt Gelb's story in the Athletic talked about how Wheeler was like, you know, it's part of his routine. He just kind of like looks at the mound, like before the game starts. He just kind of stares at it and they're like what are you what are you doing when you're doing that and he's like i'm just thinking he's like i'm thinking about what i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do i'm just like focusing uh and he came out and you know real muto was aware that his sweeper you know might have something of an on and off switch and you know whether the amount that they're gonna throw it that night depends on you know how it looks the first couple times he throws it and he threw one and in the story real muto's like yeah <laughs> we're we're good here uh and he wound up five of his eight strikeouts the third strike was his, was his sweeper so he had he had it going i mean he mm. looked more like zach wheeler the ace than than um in any single start from the regular season i would say i mean you know you, you get premier it's a long season and I'm, you might be able to pull a, a couple starts out but i think everybody would agree wheeler was not as dominant a number one starter this year as he was last year. He's still obviously a great pitcher for the Phillies and and uh, remained the number one in that rotation all season long. Uh, but he had a few bumps in the road and uh, maybe a little more than last year. It didn't really shake my faith in him too much, but it was always it's obviously a huge confidence boost to see your number one pitcher come out in a playoff start like that and be like, yeah, no, I got this. And he had it for most of that game. He had it. I was a little disappointing or just maybe unsatisfying uh, that he couldn't get out of the seventh. You know, that wasn't entirely his fault. And mm-hmm. I get Thompson being like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to put you in that around. situation. Yeah, we'll just get Alvarado to come out here and get an out and, and you're good. Don't worry about it. So, like, I get it. Um, but, yeah, what a what a start. Exactly what you wanted to see from him. Uh, yeah, did you see anything like was how big was that start for the Phillies in the postseason? I mean, they it's what they need and it's historically what they've been able to do is start, you know, start strong in a, in a postseason series. And that's exactly what they did. They needed to come out there and show everyone. Yeah, we're still here. There's nothing that's, you know, things are different, but the same in some ways, we're still going to just, we're going to cruise through this. And that's what, that's what Zach Wheeler did. He's like, there's no reason to fear. It's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, I got to admit, I was telling myself not to look past the Marlins, but I really, you know, by the, the third inning of game one, I was looking past the Marlins. Yep. I was telling myself not to, and I was really trying not to, but it was, you know, the way Wheeler was pitching, the way the offense was, even when they were getting runners on base and not coming through, it was still like, okay, they're, they're, they're hitting this guy. They're hitting the Marlins. You know, eventually they will score a run at least, you know, they'll, they'll score enough runs that Wheeler's going to, the way he's pitching, he's going to be able to make that stand up. So all of that was a huge confidence boost. And from that, like I said, that first arise hit that wound up being an out to Wheeler uh, and him just settling in and getting comfortable and being able to use that sweeper. That was huge. That was huge. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about from game one uh, was every playoff game needs a moment. Like I said, you know, you associate a moment with every win. The intensity level in the stadium just spikes. And I really do think this was the like official on switch for Phillies fans at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, not that it was like quiet leading up to this point, but I think it definitely reached a new level. And that was when Bryce Harper ran through that stop sign <laughs> when you had a little bit of an unfortunate narrative forming with Dusty Wathen holding Kyle Schwarber in the first when people wanted to see him score. I'm not sure that he would have. So, yeah, like, I don't, I don't I think really that don't was think objectively. 
Yeah, I don't think that was an objectively bad hold. Uh, but then he sent Castellanos a little later, and he got thrown out at home plate. Mm. So regardless of how you break that down or, or follow the decision-making process, all the people in the stadium saw that moment was one guy held up who they were, ho- was, were hoping was going to score, and another guy sent who wound up getting thrown out at the plate. People are going to turn their attention to the third base coach in that situation, whether it's really his fault or not. That's just Mm going to happen. So then you have the third part of the trilogy being Harper, who, as my friend then later pointed out, claimed he didn't see the stop sign, but also threw his helmet off between second and third. Which kind of tells you, yeah, he did. He made his decision a long before he he was already going. No, from the moment the (laughs) from the moment the bat from the moment the ball left the bat. He he made up his mind. He's like, all right, I know exactly how far that's going. <laughs> we're we're going to go. It doesn't matter what anyone's, anyone says, anyone does. You will see me at home like plate. There's, <laughs> there's been a couple of times this year where Harper has really tried to make something happen. And he has largely succeeded when he's ha- entered that like headspace uh, in the past. But this year, I feel like there were a couple of times where he was like, I'm going to score. And he was out. Or I'm gonna hit the crap out of this, and he struck out. Like he, he just, he, he didn't quite, you know. It, it, and it's no fault of his own. It's just kind of like how baseball is, and that's what makes him so incredible is that he's able to kind of like go beyond that a lot of the time. But I feel like this year, as he was, uh, you know, he obviously came back very early from Tommy John recovery, but he also was still recovering uh, to an extent while he was back. So yeah. I think you, you kind of saw hints of that when he came up just a hair shy of, of the heroic moments for which he's known a couple more times. And I got to say, Bryce Harper, he just, he looks so uncomfortable when he's not a hero. I guess I just, this is just a personal thing for me. I'm not saying I, I know this for a fact, but it's, it just seems like he, he has these much harder swings and he just swings harder and harder and harder until he starts hitting if he's not hitting or if he sees somebody else hit a home run he's just like well i i want to i want to do it i want to play and like he'll come out and sometimes he does then follow with a home run and just adds on on other times it just seems like he boy he really wanted to hit a home run but he didn't uh when he went for that grounder in game one and it wasn't his ball and it allowed a run to score because Stott had to field it, and Wheeler wasn't running over to first base uh, in time to to cover, and Jake Berger reached face uh, reached first base safely, and, and that was a play that that was not his ball, but and, and you could see the way he went for it, he had to dive for it, and if he had stopped it, it would have been a fantastic stop, but I still don't know if somebody would have been covering first anyway. Uh, but the point was, it seemed like he was in one of those head spaces where he's like, I gotta do it, I gotta do something, like I haven't been there yet. Everybody else is doing stuff, I haven't done something yet. Let me do this, and it was just like, well, <laughs> I, first base I is like not where the your place head's to at, do that, but... man. First base is not where you like. That's an outfield mentality. That is an out. That's an outfielder's mentality because you could do that for the outfield. For first base, no, not not all. Really, really not not a ton. And no one's really looking to you to do that. So uh, he kind of, I think, reaches beyond what what a first a traditional first baseman would know to do, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think a little bit, you, you'd probably chalk that up to like, oh, well, he's not so experienced at first base. But I also do think it was like he was just, he wanted to make a play. He, he wanted oh, yeah. to do it. Not not in a selfish way. I don't mean to put it like that at all. No, no, I just no, mean no. 
from like a, a self-satisfaction way and like a, I want to be able to say I contributed to the team as well. And obviously Harper is able to do that. But in these moments, it does just kind of feel like uh, when he when he feels like maybe he hasn't contributed enough, he, he feels like he has to and he puts that pressure on himself. But the beauty of this team is that ideally Harper doesn't have to carry them. He could and he has at times in the past, but he doesn't have to. And the way this team is playing right now, like I said, everybody they sent to the plate except for Marsh had a hit in game one. Like everybody was coming through in some in some capacity. And then Harper ran through that stop sign and gave them that that insurance run that did make me feel a lot better. And I yeah, everybody was like, I'm so glad he did that. That's you know, that's a very Bryce Harper move. And then it was also a Bryce Harper move for him to be like, I didn't see the stop sign. You know, I I you know, Dusty's great, you know, no insult to him whatsoever. He would never do anything. He's too professional and too well media trained to say anything that would make it sound like he was he was devaluing someone. Mm-hmm. So he you know, he nailed that. That was a great playoff moment. Made me think of Roy Oswald. It was uh it was yeah, it was mm-hmm. terrific. So that he was the big moment from game one. It <laughs> that was the big moment in game one I liked. So everybody was really warmed up for game two. And the stadium was much louder from the jump, I would say, in game two. Everybody was pretty goosed up from the win the night before and the fact that that made this game a clinching game. To me, obviously, you're going to latch on to the Bryson Stott Grand Slam. That was huge. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But to me, Nola was the story. Aaron Nola was who I focused on in my recap on baseball prospectus, and it's it's who had the most pressure on him in that game. And I said earlier in the year, perhaps jokingly, that maybe you saw some lapses, some velo drops, some early exits from Aaron Nola uh, throughout the year as he had the up-and-down season with which we are very familiar, uh, because, you know, maybe... Part of this was part of a larger plan to save some of his best stuff for now. Because last year he did go, he was able to, to, to perform much better in September. And his stamina just lasted a lot longer into October. But it did die out. And his last three starts in the postseason were just not on the same level. And so maybe, you know, maybe, maybe by being a little more conservative throughout the regular season, he saved some of his best starts for, for right now, which is, you know, now that we're in right now, feels pretty good. And so maybe that doesn't make sense, but that was his best start of the season, in my view. Like, maybe that no-hitter, he, like, threw almost seven innings of no-hit ball, I believe, at, at one point this season. And he's, he had a couple of very good starts in the regular season, absolutely. But with with what was on the line here and, and with uh, what they were able to do, with his great start and the foundation he gave this team to win in game two and the shutout he had through even just five innings. I was like, this is a win. This is already a win. Five shutout innings from Aaron Nola <laughs> is a win. Uh, and the fact that he went uh, seven is huge. I mean, that is just so big. They didn't, they had the depth to, to back them up if he ran into trouble, but in either of these starts, they didn't need it. And they were able to keep, you know, all these guys that they want to have at their disposal ready for the NLDS. Uh, I mean, this was a, this was this was just big in every way. I I love that this happened. I love that he was able to do this, and uh, I, I it, it's such a it's it's such a boon for the Phillies moving forward in the postseason. It's perfect. It, it it worked out perfectly, and I think you're actually right. And you're not the only one who thinks that there was some con, you know conservative usage of Aaron Nola because during the game, Buster only asked him, or like maybe right when he was finished. Um, they had a, an in dugout interview and Buster only asked him about that. Like, you know, last year, you know, do you think, you know, having more stamina now is, you know, helpful to you? Or do you think that this has been, you know, you're going to be able to last longer? And he was like, 
pretty much yes. He he sort of danced around it a little bit, but it was he was saying yes. And so I I think you're absolutely right that the Phillies noticed what happened and they want to they really went into the season wanting to prevent that from happening again and that's that in and of itself is great. I mean and it's such it's wonderful forethought and it's also just the best feeling in the world to know that the team is always has always been aiming to win the World Series last year, this year, next year, and the year after that. You know that that's that's going to be their aim and they're always going to start the year with that in mind. Like that's that's great. Well, Dola's start was obviously a huge part of this game, but it was also the Phillies' ability to hit young lefty Braxton Garrett of the Marlins, who, you know, the, the reason Pache was starting was because the Phillies were adjusting their lineup to having to face two lefties in a row in this series. Uh, the Phillies got to Garrett. They they hung three runs. Uh, well, they scored three runs early. Uh, and then it was the sixth inning when Alec Bohm led off with a double off uh, apparently Marlins long reliever David Robertson is that's that's the story now uh, and so. Robertson was then replaced by Andrew Nardi who then uh, walked Bryce Harper and with one out Nick Castellanos reached on an error by Jake Berger and so that loaded the bases for Bryson Stott and boy what a moment. Uh, what I what I noticed immediately was that it was a first pitch swing. And, you know, Stott really made a name for himself as a young player who is comfortable hitting with two strikes. And that is that's a comfort when you're watching him, too, because you're like, all right, this guy's not panicking. This guy's not stressed. He's just, you know, he's in there doing his thing. And last year when he knocked in that first run against the Braves with a double, uh, that was a long, deep at bat. And I believe he had two strikes on him by the time mm-hmm. he did that. But this was the opposite. This was an ambush. This was more like Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto, and Bryce Harper going homer, single, homer against the Braves uh, in the NLDS last year on three pitches. And they talked about that. I believe in Alex Coffey's story later, they talked about how Kevin Long and Bryson Stott worked out like, hey, you know, maybe being a little more aggressive could be to your benefit here. And I think it was. I think the scouting report on him is that he will make you work and he will take that first pitch. And then the first time he doesn't, you're going to regret it. And here he was. You know, here he was. He got a hittable pitch on on the first pitch, and he didn't miss it. He didn't miss it even a little bit. And that ball landed deep in the seats in right field. And I think everybody just was like, all right, we just won. It's the seventh inning, but we have we (laughs) we just won this game. Like, I feel comfortable. We won. Yes. I was electrified out of my seat because who was expecting that? No one. Who, uh, who could mm-hmm. have said, like, I'm sure someone out there said, you know, uh, this is, Boehm's going to grand slam here. Boehm, sorry, Stott's going to grand slam here, though there was no reason to think he would. I think he, it was his first career grand slam. Like, there's no reason to think he would have done that. But he's he's dangerous at any point in the count. Now, now everyone knows he can get you anytime. Because that, I, the, the shots of, like, the sideways shots of watching the crowd react as the ball leaves the bat and goes out, <laughs> it goes into the crowd is I, I've watched it so many times that every time I pick a different person just to watch as they, as they react. Like I picked one guy who was like front and center. who's like blonde and he, his mouth is open a little bit. And then his mouth is so large. He could fit his fist in it. Like it's an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredible slow motion shot. 
Well, playing at shortstop last year, yeah, don't don't forget, Bryson Stott was a rookie last year. He is 25 years old. His batting <laughs> average jumped 50 points this year. His on-base percentage jumped uh, 60 points, 70 points this year. His slugging percentage jumped 60 points this year. I mean, he is they get when the Phillies talk about him being their second baseman of the future or just an infielder of the future or what have you. Uh, they, you know, you, you feel like they got to mean it because this guy has evolved into such a, a ball player that it's tough to re- remember. But you say like, oh, I think it was the first grand slam of his career. I was like, yeah, I mean, probably was his career is not even two entire seasons <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yet. <laughs> we are at the, we are still very much at the beginning of the Bryson Stott story here in Philadelphia. And he was it, a borderline it makes moments starter like that last even more year. Exciting. It was a border like yeah. there were times when I thought they might send him down. You know, I think there was some talk of that last year. And like from the start of this season, like I completely forgot about all that. Like from the very beginning, he was a he was a mature, he was a different player. And it now it feels like he's always been around. <laughs> it feels like this is just who he's always been. And the next time the Phillies don't make the postseason will be the first time Bryson Stott has not made the postseason as a Major League Baseball player. Uh, It's worth pointing out as well. Uh, So, yeah, that was a huge, huge moment. That'll live on uh, for some time. They'll be using that in highlight reels uh, for the foreseeable future. Shane Victorino jumped on social media and uh, was talking about how cool it was. (laughs) By talking about how cool it was, I mean just spelling Bryson's name with seven r's and 10 y's and a bunch of emojis. 18 o's and 20 n's and yeah a bunch of emojis and you know and obviously everyone was quick to point out oh it's the only other philly player to hit a grand slam in the postseason yeah you, think, you don't think he knows cool that <laughs> yeah, i wonder why he was the one whatever it's fine guys. Weird. uh and yeah see see him reach out of the past like that and just and yeah just to know those guys were watching i mean it's the wild card round they're not trotting all the celebrities out yet but the camera did cut to guys like mickey morandini larry boa milt thompson cole hamels was there in game one uh, he was up in one of the suites so that yeah it's, it's cool to see you know the past the guys from the past be at the ballpark and also just reach out like that to be like oh yeah i did this once you know still have that attachment to the team it really makes you you know it validates the the you know the the feeling you have about those guys and how like, oh yeah, the Phillies for life and the Phillies are like a family. And then to see, you know, see Victorino reaching out and be like, oh yeah, the next guy who hit a grand slam in the postseason did it is, uh, yeah, that's just cool. It's cool to see uh, the, the history connect to the present like that. Um, it's nice and to then have then history thing- that is able to connect to the present like that. It's yeah, nice that it's very not true. that far away. <laughs> very true. Yes. Uh, the other another thing that uh, happened in game two that was a lot of fun was Orion Kirkering was brought in for the eighth. And I felt like this was just this was terrific. I mean, it was the perfect time to bring in a rookie pitcher to make his playoff debut. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got a I can't imagine where his head's at at this point, having been the first player to jump like th- four levels in a farm in a Phillies farm system. Uh, and then reach the major leagues to make his major league debut 11 days before his major league postseason debut uh, to to yeah, yeah to, to just be he, I mean I, I would just be spinning at this point and then you know the postseason appearance 
isn't necessarily, you know, all roses here. You, you might be walking into a situation that's really unpleasant. You know, if you're going to the bullpen in the postseason, you, you know, it might be because the guy before you was in trouble and created a, a difficult situation, and it's up to you to pitch out of it and, and just try to you know, like save the day, essentially. Like, you're, bring, you're being brought in to be a hero. But in this case, the Phillies had just given him a seven-run cushion. He could go out there relaxed and just do what he does best. And what he does best is make Marlins hitters look like idiots. Yep. Boy, Ryan Kirkering, I don't know, you know, maybe it was because he was so comfortable. Maybe he can do this when he's in an even more intense situation. Who knows? But he looks so legit. I mean, oh, those yeah. that, the movement on his pitches coming in on guys and the fact that they really haven't seen him before is probably a huge strength for the Phillies. And just to see him succeed like that is, is awesome. It's so awesome. Like he, like I, I, I said on the uh, the episode after they clinched it, I couldn't imagine what, like the adrenaline, all of the emotions surging. Like that's it's one of those moments where he's probably like, I want to remember this forever. And yet five minutes later, it's just like all like a like an endorphin fueled haze, you know, like <laughs> for him to just that and. For the whole crowd, like to go out there for his debut, for the whole crowd to know that this is his postseason debut, to know that he just made it. They all know that he is just in the in you know the majors for the first time, and so they give him an enormous, you know, they give him enormous support. Like that, that had to be like you could have if <laughs> you could have attached a single helium balloon to him and he would have flown right away. <laughs> well, I think we at Hidden Season have uh, particular raw nerves about Gregory Soto, but mm-hmm. somebody said that he's never—he's actually never thrown like more strikes than he has over the last few months. I just assume that when he comes in a game, the other team's going to get at least one more run. Like that just mm-hmm. seems to always be the case. It's like the Soto tax. I feel like, but then <laughs> I looked at his September numbers. In 12 appearances that month, he allowed runs in only three of those games. Now, that's more than you want from a late-inning reliever still, uh, but it's still far from most of the time. So, you know, I, I, he, again, though, because that's how we feel about him, coming in in a 7 to nothing game to close things out, I'm not even really that nervous seeing Soto on the mound, who then, by the way, did allow a run to come in in yeah. garbage time. Whatever. Did finish things out, though, and the Phillies won 7-1 to and clinched a spot in the NLDS. I mean, that was just the right the right time to see those two guys, I felt like, specifically. And, yeah, the team team did everything. It didn't, you know, didn't always capitalize on every runner in scoring position. Didn't get every out when uh, they already had two strikes on a guy. Uh, and these are, like, you know, issues that kind of haunted them throughout the season. But they didn't do that so much that it impacted the, the game in a serious way. They were able to come through when they did come through. They were able to build off two incredibly strong starts from their one and two starters in the rotation. They got a ton of energy and momentum going into Atlanta. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, the vibes coming off this team have been pretty immaculate all year, even if the play hasn't been perfect. But now we're at a point where they are firing on all cylinders, and that's exactly how you got to be to take on the Braves. Oh, yeah. Bring them on. Like, that, that's the best thing about this series is that – I mean, if Braves fans are afraid, that's their own business. Because, like, I, I don't think the Braves are afraid of the Phillies. And the Phillies certainly aren't afraid of the Braves. And that's what I want to see in a playoff series. Because both teams are going to go full on, especially after last year. The Braves are going to be played with their spikes up. Metaphorically, I don't think they're actually going to play with their spikes up. But um, 
Um, metaphorically, they're they're going to be out for blood and early. There isn't going to be a chance they let by, and I think the Phillies are in the perfect position and the perfect headspace to go out there and be like, we're just as good as you. Just because you won all these other games in the regular season doesn't mean that we can't play. Doesn't mean that we can't still beat you just like we did last year. The Braves have, and every time they face them in the postseason, you know, twice, but still, every time the Phillies have won. Um, the Braves have a, you know, a deeper and stronger lineup than the Phillies. The Phillies don't have a bad lineup by any stretch. Listen to what we've been saying over the last 45 minutes. Uh, but that being said, yeah, the Braves, you're, you're going to see the uh, 501 team slugging percentage stats cited a lot. And yeah, that's, that's very good. That's incredibly good. So that's gonna that's a that's your first hurdle in playing the Braves. But the Phillies seem to have a deeper pitching staff going into this series. They really do. I mean, yeah. like it's fortunate they didn't have to get too far into it for for the Marlins series. And and you know it's it's I think we're we're all leaning towards probably Ranger Suarez starting game one. Wheeler will get game two. Nola will get game three. Uh, and then we're just kind of off to the races from there. But. This deep pitching staff is ready to go, and uh, I think the Braves suffered a couple of losses coming into the playoffs for their pitching staff. A couple of big, uh, big names like Charlie Morton, Max Fried, guys that uh, got a little dinged up or said to be missing time, and you know that's that's big for the Phillies. The the Braves, if they have a weak point to to exploit. It's certainly more on the pitching side than the hitting side. So this will be this will be a this could be a tough series. This will be an interesting series, and I think both of these teams are ready for each other. And I'm very excited to watch. But yeah. I don't think Braves fans are excited are <laughs> as excited to watch. Like I said before, they're getting ready for the NLDS by already complaining about the playoff format. And in their corner is pompous nerdlinger Travis Sawchick, author of the MVP Machine and Big Data Baseball. So you can guess how he stands the on the worst. issue. If there's the worst. A, Sorry, if there's the a, worst. If there's a joyless and unwatchable uh, idea floating around baseball, Sawchick will certainly support it. If there's a, if there's a chance to make baseball worse for someone who wants to watch it, Zodjic will tell you it's the best thing for everyone. Most uh, people, people don't he wants want to one make it team worse for everyone, but him somehow. <laughs> you know, he he he's, he was basically well. He said on Twitter that uh, the Braves and Orioles were the best teams in either league. They should be designated the NL and AL champs. Uh, and then, you know, getting into the whole argument that winning the regular seat, being the best in the regular season is a bigger accomplishment than winning in the postseason because it's obviously a much longer uh, and more of a grind uh, than having to go into this 13 game sprint to the World Series. I don't know what to tell you, man. People don't want one team from each league to play in the World Series anymore. You can look back in history and be like, it was so pure. It was so simple. Yeah, it certainly was. And back then, I, I bet it was very thrilling. I know that every really time white. they expand. I know that every time they expand the playoffs, it's just for rich people to make more money. But people don't people don't want that. They don't want simple. They don't want two teams quietly playing a seven game series and then that's that. Even if they think they want it, they don't. You know, let's let's try that one year and see how into it people get. It would be over too quick. There just wouldn't be enough baseball. And to be able to throw all these other teams in the mix, I you know, that that's that's part of the thrill of baseball. Personally, you want to change things up. I got ideas. Let's have the number one seed in baseball play a one-game playoff against the worst team in their respective league. And if they lose that game, they don't go to the postseason. Uh -huh. Neither does the last place team. But, like, if, yeah, you got to play one more game against the worst team. Just let them feel like they're impacting the process, too. I love Why it. not? Uh, but 
I see these thoughts now, and all I can think is, well, tough. Win yeah. the playoffs if you're so good. Well, no. we already won all these other games. Yeah, and now you have to win these too. Yep. Nobody wants to work anymore, Liz. Besides, aren't underdog stories why people watch sports? That's, yes. Like, basketball does the same thing. Like, and I know it feels quote-unquote unfair because baseball has all these games. But you know what? That's baseball. That's what this is. And the playoffs, if you you can try to make them shorter, but literally no one wants it. Not baseball, not the fans, not the players, not even the players union would want that. And because it, it, that's we've had division divisional play is now baked into baseball. And honestly, with the extra wild card, all they've done is like add a fourth ghost division to every league and have a wild card. That's all they've done, you know, so. Yes, we could have like it's better. I would I like this better than adding another, you know, six teams to baseball just to get this result. This gets so many more fans involved. And while it does have a problem of devaluing of, you know, devaluing higher win totals, it's fun. God forbid something be fun. People like baseball, man. People like it. They don't want less of it. They don't want it to be more pure. They want to have fun with it. Man, and having yeah, just like, wanting that man, betters would actually they would go to his home and kill him. I mean, 162 games is a lot of games, but guess what? In the spring and summer, people want to watch baseball. They want to go. They want to go to the park if they can afford it and watch baseball. They want to turn on the game each night, you know, and, and watch baseball because they have a baseball team and they like baseball. And then at the end of that. The team that won, you know, that did the best over 162 games gets all the advantages in the postseason. Like, what? Oh, you want to reformat it? What you're really saying is, I'm scared of the potential results of this, and I don't know how to lose. And I feel like that's a lot of, I've said that before, that people don't know how to lose. I feel like Philly fans, we know how to lose. Like, you take a loss, it sucks, you move on. You know, you complain about it for a generation, you ruin other people's lives and holidays by talking about it. But, you know, you're you're not saying the results should be different, or that didn't really happen, or it's not fair because we were the best and we lost. Other people have raised this point on social media, but I don't remember any particular outcry when the Giants beat the Phillies in 2010 or when the Cardinals beat the Phillies in 2011. Like, those were teams that were not the best team, but, oh, it was so charming and thrilling, and look, they're so wacky, and it's great because people love when that happens. They love when a 16 seed takes down a 1 seed in the NCAA bracket. Like, that's that's sports. That's why it's, that's why it's fun. That's why it's interesting. That's why it's intriguing. That's why it's dramatic. I mean, that this is, this is what you want. And also, yeah. Again, just to go back to that point, nobody complained when the Phillies were the victim of this. Now they're the team that's causing trouble for other people and suddenly things have to change. Well, grow up. Grow up and learn how to lose because you're probably going to again. The Philly fans lost two championships last year and we're still out here. Like we and you know who we didn't blame it. we didn't blame the turf loudly for no. the Super Bowl. Like this the turf was like a huge deal, but most fans just I, I didn't see, like, a huge onslaught of hate towards any of the players. We do know how to lose. We've done it more than almost any other city out there. We are so We have bad. done it more than any North American sports franchise. Yes. yes famously. Was- like, we know, how to, we know how to do this. We do. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know what we did after we lost the World Series? We went to an abandoned dock and watched a guy eat a rotisserie <laughs> chicken. Like, that was how we... <laughs> 
That's how we had our World Series hangover. You know, it sucked. No one was happy about it. They got no hit in the World Series. They have, I completely forgot about that, which is great. I'm glad yeah. I forgot about it. No what? <laughs> No one enjoyed it, but then they also didn't sit around going, well, here's the reasons why this loss was actually a win afterwards. Like, no, just, just, ex- you got to just accept it and move on. It, it's not a good feeling. You don't like it and you can live with it, but there's always next know, year. It, it, it happened. You can't deny that it happened and you don't need to change the entire system because you had a bad time. That's called poor sportsmanship, but you know, it is Atlanta. So what are you yeah. going to do? Like we already like there is a huge problem that we already give the the division like the uh, the winners of the divisions like a day off they already get a series off and people complain well that's too much time like no 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 you get one or the other they either get an advantage or they're treated the same as everyone else that's it this is the way the playoffs are and the way they always have been why are people like this yep. But that's the energy going into Atlanta as the Phillies prepare to take on the Braves in the National League Division Series. Going to be a tough one, but like I said, coming out of this wild card series, they've got the energy and they've got the talent and they got the players and they got the vibes to do it. And by when Game 3 starts, they're certainly going to have the fans as well. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hitting Season. <laughs>